This is the Seahawkers podcast, episode 311. I'm Brandon Schultz of the Military Seahawkers, and joining me now exclusively from his cabin, he's Montana Seahawker Adam Emmert. Yeah, second ever Gulch podcast, but this time we actually get to, you know, upload it to you and and make it all go right here. Solar powered (laughs) off grid. It's awesome. Good times for you. It's uh, good times for Seahawks fans this week. And I mean, welcome back to everyone who didn't listen after last week's loss to the Cardinals. Now they're now Mm. they're waiting all week. They can't wait for an episode. And here we are. I guess we should pass along a happy Blue Friday to everybody by the the time this episode launches. So, you know, you you can, sometimes you just can't pick when you get to record. Well, not this time. Uh, sorry, it was a very long work trip. I wasn't excited about it, but it had to be done. So uh, work trip over. And now we get to talk about the Molly Wampin, the Seahawks put on the 49ers. Uh, we get to talk about the Bills a little bit coming up here this Sunday. Um, what an exciting time this for this season. I mean... That was kind of the game we've all been waiting for. Like, hey, can this team actually put together a, a, a game in all three phases of the game? And my God, they they went out and did it. They went out and did it, especially if you look at that third quarter, the way they pulled ahead, uh, going just going into the fourth. And we're going to get there. We're going to talk all about the 49ers game. Let's hit on a few news items just from this week. The trade deadline passed. Nothing happened. I know a lot of Seahawks fans hoping that maybe they could get another pass rusher. Sounded like they actually called up the Houston Texans to see if Jacob Martin, uh, if they could find a way to get him back to Seattle. Turned out that it turns out that just hearing the news around the Texans organization, they were kind of stingy with what they wanted for draft picks in terms of uh, trading players away. So not not the pushovers that Bill O'Brien was when he was in Houston. Yeah, I have a feeling that trade call went a lot like this. Hey, brother, it's John Schneider of the Seattle Seahawks. Click. (laughs) They've had enough of John Schneider down there in Houston. They're not going to let him steal the last remaining draft capital that they have down there. Or, you know, I guess they were trading for the player. But, like, look, the Seahawks weren't going to give him a bunch of picks for Jacob Martin. They were still going to try to come out ahead on that. And that's fine. Then there's other it's worth a options call. out there. I'm, I'm still. glad they made the call. Yeah. I mean, they'll they'll probably put in a call to Clay Matthews here at some point, too. Yeah. I mean, you might as well and and just see what uh what's left in the tank there. But you know, they say trading deadline came and went, nothing happened. Well, I mean, we talked about it last show, but they did bring in Carlos Dunlap right. and he's gonna play this upcoming week. So that's exciting. Um, Alton Robinson had a big game this last game. That's exciting. That's exciting. Uh, other news items. Well, the, the good thing about Alton Robinson having a big game is that Demontre Moore suspended for six games for a PED violation. So with Rasheem Green coming back this week, I, I guess we'll know that's easy to figure out where that roster spot comes from in that Demontre Moore will go to the uh, suspended list. All, all kinds of help. Coming back this week, Adam Rasheem Green coming back, Jamal Adams coming back, Carlos Dunlap will get to play for the first time. Hopefully, Shaquille Griffin will be back after uh, you know recovering from his concussion but, slash uh, hamstring slash hamstring in- right. injury. Going into that game, you look at the the inactive list. You know Chris Carson, Carlos Hyde, Mike Upati, Shaquille Griffin, Jamal Adams, and you're you're looking at that going, oh man, you know. I, I know that the 49ers are beat up on the other side of the ball. Uh, how concerned were you going into this game against the 49ers when you saw that list of players that weren't going to get to go? 
What list of players that didn't get to go? We didn't have any injuries in that game. No, no. I listened to the broadcast of that game, and there's only one team that is just struggling with injuries <laughs> in this league, and that's the San Francisco 49ers. I mean, Seahawks were at full strength. I don't know what you talk about. Injuries? Yeah. Well, I, I didn't I didn't catch that at all. Um, that was one of my biggest pet peeves throughout this game was in I'll I'll give Schlereth. Schler- a little bit of uh, credit here. I can never say his last name. We're just going to go with Stink. Schlereth, I think. I think it's Schlereth. The French pronunciation. Oh, all right. Schlereth. <laughs> all right. Anyways, it, six one half does the other. Whole point being is that, man, his announcing partner on and on and on about the poor San Francisco 49ers and their poor, poor injuries and how banged up they are. Blah, bitty, blue. Not one mention of that inactive list that you just went down of multiple, multiple starters. But again, you wouldn't have known it uh, through the television broadcast, the way that they talked until Schlereth actually did at one point go, well, hey, wait, the Seahawks have injuries, too. He said it once (laughs) for like a second. And I'll give him a tiny bit of credit for that. Yeah, maybe one of the production guys said, maybe you should just mention that. He's like, oh, fine, whatever. I'll get it in there. (laughs) Get off my back already. Golly. And now the whole week after um, you hear all the, you know, TV pundits and all those guys, the talking faces on TV talking about how banged up the Niners are and making all these excuses for him. And hell, I saw a headline the other day that will Shanahan be coach of the year if he gets him to seven and nine. <laughs> Get the yeah. fuck out of here. I heard some 49ers fans talking about that on a podcast, too, that if they get to eight and eight, if they're a 500 team, then Shanahan should be coach of the year. Is that how it works? It's just coaching up an injured team to a, a mediocre record? I guess that's how that works when you're a very public team like the San Francisco 49ers. Who, Meanwhile, Pete Carroll's had winning season after winning season after winning season. And no, not even a mention of coach of the year ever for Pete Carroll. Right. You, you just don't get that, and especially since the you know Russell Wilson era. I mean, the, the Seahawks, Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson are the Niners daddy. Like they've kicked the catfish out of them over the last few years. And they, everybody acts like this is actually a rivalry. Uh, I mean, that's really fun and all, except for it's not. You know what, though? That's what makes this all the better in celebrating this 37 to 27 victory over the 49ers. And as close as it sounds when I say that out loud, going into the fourth quarter when it's 32 seven, that's yeah. that's how this game felt. Oh, absolutely. It felt like a total dismantling and. You saw, and thank goodness, this was awesome to see. We've all been waiting for it. We've been hoping. You saw Ken Norton grow a pair and start blitzing the hell out of a team because you're going to have to manufacture pass rush when you don't have just skilled guys. And it's going to take more than doing the whole blitz, you know, one dude, so you're rushing five on five. I, I've been listening to Chris Sims talk about this over the past, well, the beginning of the season mm-hmm. and, and going back last year about how useless it is to blitz one dude. Right. Because you're still five on five. You're not creating any mismatches. And not only that, but they weren't stunting uh, along with it. And man, they came out and they had some really creative stunts and some big blitzes coming off the edge. And they unleashed B-Wags and they stole Jimmy G's lunch money. I mean, the whole game, I'm like, blitz him again. Blitz him again because he pooped his pants (laughs) every time you blitzed him. 
Yeah, it's funny because you know, we talked about that last week and just how surprised I was at that statistic that Garoppolo had, you know, his his average yards on blitzes was higher than than all of his other numbers. And I think we saw what normally we expected. So I, I don't know what was going on with the statistics there. But, you know, that we've talked about that in previous years, make him uncomfortable in the pocket and he crumbles. You know, we've we've had a few weeks now with Jamal Adams out. And it's not like that's the only dude who can rush the passer. And so we saw Bobby Wagner blitzing the quarterback on multiple occasions and just trucking dudes. It's like, really, Ken Norton? Like, you didn't know that all-pro linebacker Bobby Wagner, future Hall of Famer, could go in and cause that kind of damage maybe when you worked him into the game plan in that way? And yeah, okay, the the 49ers had a backup center going in, in this game, and maybe they took advantage of him a little bit too. But Bobby Wagner just destroying guys and getting to the quarterback two sacks now he's tied for the team lead and i hope we see more of that oh i think we will and the reason i think that is it was towards the end of the first half and bobby got in on a blitz and he got one of his sacks and they zoomed in on his face and he's looking right at the sideline and i'm I'm guessing it is ken norton i'm guessing it was ken norton and he just says i told you (laughs) i told you and he must have been telling him this whole season that if you just unleash him, uh-huh. he's going to wreak havoc. And he went out there and just dismantled the Niners almost single-handedly. The other thing that we have to give Ken Norton and the defense credit for in this game is they did an amazing job of shutting down the screens and the outside zone run. And George and, Kittle. George Kittle had almost, what, two catches on the day? Yeah, and... uh I, I'm looking forward. I know you went back and kind of studied that a little bit. So I'm looking forward to your thoughts on uh, what the Seahawks actually employed against Kittle because I didn't really quite notice it. Mm-hmm. But one of the plays, and again, this was close to one of the last drives for San Fran of, of the first half. Um, they, uh, the I don't know, first down, it wasn't anything special. It was maybe like a run. Second down, they run like one of those... Uh, kind of fake screens where Jimmy kind of rolls out to the right and it looks like maybe the screen's going out that way and then throws all the way back across the field to the left. And the Seahawks, you watched, you watched every one of those D linemen on that play. They watch Jimmy G roll out. They see the lineman slip and they think screen to that side for half a tick. And you watch all their eyes light up and start beelining it to the other side. Like before it was out of Jimmy G's hand. Oh, I know exactly what play you're talking about too, because one of the cool things on that is that it looked like uh, it could have been a play designed for George Kittle because he was one of the guys that was rolling out to the right side. And DJ Reed, as as soon as he saw that, and I know we'll talk some DJ Reed in this game, he started flowing with the right because the initial, the line kind of flowed, uh, or excuse me, to the left for the offense. And he started going that way, but then he saw Kittle and he was right in his back pocket. And then, yeah, that, that was the fake. And then they threw to the left and the Seahawks were all over it. The Seahawks were all over it, and that was awesome film study. I mean, that's literally what I yelled at the screen when I when I watched. I was like, "Awesome film study, dudes! That was great." <laughs> and then the next play, you know, Wags uh, sacks him, and I think that might have been the end of Jimmy's night. Was that sequence, mm. or or it was the next one? Yeah, I don't it, I, I don't remember exactly where in the game that was. It don't make no never mind. But Jimmy made it through three quarters. He made it through three quarters. Neat for him. Um, he only made it through half a season and I remember going into last year and everybody was fawning over, well, now that Jimmy G's back, the Niners are going to be better. And, and I said, then I was like, you know, prove it to me. Let's see if he can stay healthy for a year. And he did. 
he he sucked, but he, but he did. He was okay. And then he was good enough he, last year. Yeah. Well, this is a Seahawkers podcast, so I'm going to say <laughs> sucked. Okay. Right. And and oversell it because you know there's a little bit of homerism here. I, and yeah, I know that surprises you, but it, it's it's here. And look, he comes out this year and gets a highlight ankle sprain early in the year. Now, I mean, that might be the last time he suits up as a 49er. We may have ended Jimmy G's career as the 49ers quarterback. Yeah, well, hearing from 49ers fans, they're not exactly super stoked to get Garoppolo back anytime soon. But at the same time, they saw what C.J. Beathard did. They saw what Nick Mullins did coming in relief when Garoppolo had the high ankle sprain early on in the season. I, I think that they're just... If you talk to 49ers fans now, they're they're rooting for draft picks. For a Seahawks fan, that's a fun place to see them in in terms of their state of mind. But uh, you know, you also look at you know what they've done with their draft picks and the when they've really stunk, and that's what helped them build their Super Bowl team. So in that, in that way, it can be kind of worrying too. But we can talk more about that later on. This game, though. We've highlighted. They didn't have a. Well, let's correct something okay. here, real quick. They didn't have a Super Bowl team. They had a Super Bowl appearance. Yeah, that's, they that's, didn't win a Super Bowl. A Super Bowl team is one that wins one. Did I say a Super Bowl team? I. I'm, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I just didn't want to give the Niners one ounce of credit more than they should. <laughs> I, I was in my mind. I was thinking Super Bowl season. And then they gacked I, up. You know a what? Huge I should have just made it a lot easier and really, really emphasized the fact that they lost the Super Bowl. The 49ers had a Super Bowl losing season, being up yep. ten points. You know, with at the end, you know, tail end of what the third quarter, or were they even mm-hmm. in the fourth quarter? They're celebrating in the end zone like they had already won it. And yes, they lost the Super Bowl. Yep, they lost the Super Bowl. And then I think a couple of us came on these airwaves here and said over the offseason that that Super Bowl hangover thing is real and that the Niners were going to struggle this year and that they might be the third or fourth place team in this division. Um, Things like that were said. And, you know, a lot of people were laughing about that, picking the Seahawks to go eight and eight, you know, things of that nature. And, um, well, uh, you know, now the Seahawks uh, are sitting atop the NFC West. It's, It's crazy. It's like some of us, me and you, uh, had actually predicted that ha- to happen. You know, I didn't predict it happening quite this way, though. I I thought that they'd just genuinely be terrible. I didn't think it would be have anything to do with them being as injured as they are. Yeah. Wait, I- wait, wait. So I want to go back to that because th- this injury excuse thing that's been going on for the Niners yeah. is so freaking old. And I'll tell you why. There's been many games where we've gone in or the 49ers have gone into that game and they've pretty much had their full complement of players uh-huh. like three, four games. They've pretty much had their full complement of players. And then there's been a couple games where they're missing like Kittle yeah, or Debo, right? Or like, Jimmy. it's not like yeah. they're missing. It's not like they're missing five guys at once. Like they are now. Now they're actually injured. No, I think where it comes from is them missing their two biggest pass rushers on the defensive line, because if they're not able to get a pass rush, I don't, that's what exposes that defensive secondary. And I think they've improved a little bit since last season, but yeah, without Bosa up front and losing Buckner was a a big thing too. But I do think, yeah, they traded his ass away. It's not like, it's not like they got unlucky there. No, no, no. But I think they they, they traded him to get, bring in Javon Kinlaw, the king of the floppers. That flop, I'm sure if you haven't seen that piece of video going around where Damian Lewis just brushes his hand up against the numbers of Kinlaw and 
Kinlaw does. You know how the, like uh, dudes who are good at karate can can do like a a flip up from their back to their feet. It looked like he did the opposite of that of uh, when he flopped to his back, and he could have really hurt himself doing that. Yeah, I, that's an amazing description of it. it. Like because that's exactly how that looked there. It was so no, absurd. You know what it looked like? It looked like when uh, Little Mac from Nintendo Punch Out. <laughs> when he gives the uppercut to Glass Joe and he he yeah. flies backward across the ring and into the corner, that's yeah. that's kind of what it looked like. It it was a punch out flop. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was it was absurd. But yeah, they they've lost a lot of uh, dudes to injury, and it has exposed that secondary a little bit. And of course, Sherm's been out as well. But uh, you know, they just don't have the horses back there. The safeties aren't as talented as they thought. Um, you know, and then they, you know, Warner's played well, but. He got too much hype. Everybody was saying he was the best linebacker in the game. And uh, there was a certain guy that I think went into this game uh, with that on his mind. It seemed like it, the way he was playing. And that's one of the reasons why I think they were able to shut down George Kittle as much as they did in this game. Going back and looking at that, I it, it was something that I wanted to see because I expected Kittle to have a, a decent game, at least, because that's Jimmy's guy. And Bobby Wagner was the guy who shut that down right from the start. It wasn't him rushing the passer. It was it was when they weren't playing in zone defense or we were there playing some semblance of zone. It was Bobby Wagner kind of keeping an eye on where Kittle was. And you would see, OK, they're not running it. Where's Kittle? And Bobby would would zoom to into his into Kittle's area. So through the first quarter, that's the way they handled it. And they kind of changed it up through the the rest of the game. DJ Reed was one of the guys on Kittle when this happened. Empty backfield, four-man rush by the Hawks. Garoppolo stops, starts, looks, throws an interception. Picked off down near the 15-yard line by the Hawks. Reaching up, making the interception is one of the new kids on the block. DJ Reed just activated today. Reed, a former San Francisco 49er himself, read that play perfectly, picks it off, and the Seahawks in back-to-back plays don't get a takeaway and then do get a takeaway. We might have to send a thank you card to John Lynch for deciding to cut him before the season. Yeah, that was one of those. I know when the transaction was made a while back, I, I think I said something like, whoop-de-doo, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> and then when he was on the field this Sunday, I remember doing a double take. I'm like, wait, no, Ugo's not 29. No. Who the f- <laughs> Who's wearing Earl's number? Who is this guy? Right. Reed? Reed who? Like, it took me a minute until I figured out who the heck the guy was. But big impact. I mean, he really came out and played well. Had some nice blitzes as well as some good coverage. Uh, Another depth piece. And so when I hear the media, you know, make all these excuses for the Niners this year and all their injuries, we're just as banged up. I mean, when you have guys like Ryan Neal out there and DJ Reed and, you know, the guys of that ilk, like they are just as injured and yet are still the best team in the NFC. Right. Like, so I don't want to hear the excuses from the Niners because the Seahawks aren't making any excuses and they're kicking ass. But the turf, the 49ers, when they play on turf, it's just, it's never good for the 49ers. You know, in the way you said that, I mean, I guess that's why people deride that team. Instead of saying the 49ers, they say the 40 winers. It might have something to do with it. I want to change that uh, little nickname to the 49er crybaby. They get the exclusive rights to that term. Maybe. I I don't know. I thought it belonged to Cam Newton for a while. 
Yeah, well, he is the queen of the crybaby catfish. Passes, there's no doubt. But uh, the Niners and their fans right now are are getting real close the, to they're you the know, kings. Claiming That's the, title. the pair of royalty for the the CBSAs. Yeah, but it was so satisfying. Wasn't that how satisfying was that game on a scale of one to ten for you? Oh, so satisfying. And if you say anything less than thirty-seven, I'm going to be mad. Easily a thirty-seven. Yeah. Part of the reason why it was so satisfying is it was a game that was won in all three phases one on defense shutting them down holding them holding the 49ers to only six plays in the third quarter you know three and out three and out and then the special teams cody barton getting in there knocking the ball loose on the on the kickoff return giving them an extra possession that they score almost right away after they got that turnover on special teams and russell wilson and the offense turned that into a touchdown at that point, you're going, okay, game over. There, there's, yeah. Up. Even though they were up 27 to 7 at that point and still within three scores, you're like, we clearly see who the better team is today. Yeah, it was painfully obvious. I mean, this game went the way that the Cardinals game should have, oddly enough. You know, yeah. I mean, we thought that this might be the tougher of the two games, but mm-hmm. um, th- but the Seahawks felt just as dominant in that Cardinals game as they did in this game. They just happened to do a couple really stupid things to lose that game themselves. All the, all the stupid things. All the stupid things at once. In this game, they cleaned all that up except for the Seahawks' first two offensive possessions. That was a giant dumpster fire. Like sacks and false starts and three and outs. And you're sitting there thinking at the beginning of the game, at least I was, I was like, oh my God, this could be a long day. Yeah. Yeah. Three and out for their very first possession. And then they start the next possession on the one yard line. It starts with a, and, and immediately first and 10 on the one yard line. Tyler Lockett false starts. And yeah, you can't go back anymore. But at the same time, you're just like, come on, guys. And, uh, you know, they, they finally get some space uh, between them and the end zone. And Jordan Simmons false starts. It felt so sloppy to start the game. But then right after the interception by DJ Reed and. I, I mentioned Reed's name covering Kittle. It was actually Bobby Wagner who had who had the the um, who had Kittle deep, so he was kind of doubled up uh, when Reed got that interception. I mentioned a little bit how they covered him going in. I didn't watch a whole lot of the fourth quarter because by then they just everybody was in zone. It didn't really matter, but uh, yeah, it was a combination of Ryan Neal, DJ Reed. Um, so just they they mixed it up, and yeah, that third drive for the Seahawks though after the interception. We saw Russell Wilson put on a show, we, and we saw DK Metcalf put on a show. As they walk the strong safety up to the line of scrimmage, and he does come. Russ looks, throws back inside, ball is caught. It's Metcalf, who makes one man now, two men miss. 30, 25, 20, turns up field. They don't touch him. Touchdown, Seahawks. How in the world did he tiptoe up the sidelines? Two defenders breaking on him, and nobody touched him. And DK Metcalf starts far on the left, comes all the way across the field, and scores from 46 out. The Seahawks are on the board first, six nothing. Yeah, so that catch, he starts to run, you know, sideways and then also backwards immediately. Right. And I'm like, no, run upfield, go, yeah, go north forward, and <laughs> forward. And boy, was I wrong. And you didn't think that he was going to be able to turn that corner. And he just blows by everybody. And just like Rabe said, untouched. They didn't even get a finger on him. No. Hollister was, with a great block on the edge. That was that was amazing. And 
I think I heard every single TV football analyst have a joygasm simultaneously during that play because, holy smokes, the talk this week. I mean, you thought the DK Metcalf hype train had been rolling uh, early this season. It's a, it's a, out of control now. It's a, it's an unstoppable steam engine. It's it's out of control. It's because he had a huge game. 12 catches, 161 yards, 15 targets. The two touchdowns, we played the one touchdown there. Then he had the other one where he was just, I mean, fought through contact. I, here's the highlight. Play fake, looks, throws over the middle. Ball is caught. Flags are down. Touchdown, Seahawks. DK Metcalf catches his second touchdown pass of the day. And he just bodies up on the 49ers secondary, and they can't cover big number 14. 49ers get the flag. He still catches the pass. And, yeah, right off the bat, the first two touchdowns by the Seahawks going to DK Metcalf. That felt very gronky, that that touchdown catch. Yeah. I mean, that one, in a lot of ways, to me, was more impressive. I mean, just to be able to completely out-physical the other guy like it was nothing. And then hold on to the ball. It was awesome. Well, and then it wasn't even just those two catches, even on on passes that were incomplete to him. I mean, has anybody checked on Marcel Harris this week? Because he <laughs> went full on Gus Ferrat into DK Metcalf's abs and and landed on the ground. Yeah, and uh, that was a bad day for and him. Metcalf at looked that like point. he was unfazed. Yeah, it's like why? Why would you do that? <laughs> you know, the other thing that was really hilarious to me, I, I believe it was Jimmy Ward who started trying to talk all the trash to DK. Yeah, there was a during the game. Was, Metcalf was mic'd up. And so if you haven't seen the mic'd up, DK oh, I Metcalf, haven't seen it. Yeah, yet. he was no warden. Him were chirping quite a bit like uh, because there was the one play where Olsen and Metcalf were doing the crossers mm-hmm. and Ward ran into to Metcalf and Ward goes, I'm here. And Metcalf goes, what? He goes, I'm here. Because what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> Good for him, man. He goes, go cover somebody. Go cover somebody. No, he can't do that. That that's taunting. Because he knows Jimmy Ward's incapable. That's just taunting. It's making fun of his inability. Yeah. Yeah. No. Good so for yeah, DK. you get to you get to see some of the chirping between him and Jimmy Ward in the in yeah. the mic'd up. Jimmy Ward needs to shut the Catfish! up. He's not in the same galaxy as a player as DK is at this point. And it's it's fun to watch. And it's fun to watch everybody, you know really see him come into his own and get the kind of credit that he's getting. Um, he really is the breakout star of the NFL this year. I, I would, wouldn't you agree? I can't think of anybody off the top of my head where, who you could point to otherwise. Yeah. Now maybe somebody else will come to me and, and maybe somebody else who plays a lot of fantasy football will, will point somebody out. But uh, yeah, the, the way that he's emerged this season, it's really fun to watch. And just hearing him in the press conferences, how humble he is, he just seems like a good dude. And that makes it that much more easy to root for a guy like that. Yeah, it does make it awfully easy. And then when you have a guy who is setting him up the way that he's setting him up with these perfect passes, like Russell Carrington Wilson, it's just that much more fun. Russ went out there after those first two drives. He was locked in, man. And he was just toying with the Niners all day. Um, And really, I think out of all the touchdown passes for him in that game, the one that was the most impressive was the one to Moore. Four-man rush, steps up in the pocket, fires inside, ball is caught. Touchdown, Seahawks, to David Moore. 
right at the goal line, falls backwards into the end zone, and the Seahawks pay off the kickoff return fumble with a score, and Seattle extends its lead 26-7 over the Niners. One of the reasons why that was most impressive was just his ability to escape pressure because Damian Lewis got beat. It was a nice move by Armstead, I think it was, that uh, mm-hmm. that made the move there and got inside, got in Russ's face. And Russ just kind of steps to the left as uh, with the wingspan that Armstead is. I don't even know how he whiffed on him so badly by Russ just, just doing the sidestep. Then he steps up into the pocket a little bit. You got another uh, defensive end stunting around from the left side. And Russ just, you know, throwing into a sea of red and David Moore making the catch. It was that was an impressive throw and just the ability to make that throw, because not only did you have the defenders, Damian Lewis got beat so bad he was on the ground and Russell Wilson was tripping over Lewis's heels as he was going to the ground and making that throw. Yeah. And that's the entire part of that throw that is the most impressive to me is you know, his feet are all messed up by Lewis there. He's almost like kind of hopping and trying to jump through uh, the, you know, foot tackle by Damian Lewis, <laughs> by, you know, his own offensive guard, right? And then throws a dart, like, and it's just dead nuts on to more. And it's just that, I think somebody in the Discord chat said something like, if that was Mahomes, that would already be on a loop and being played over the whole country like 10,000 times, right? right? yeah. But it really was, I mean, just a magical throw. And just like you'd mentioned earlier, Brandon, at that point in the game, you're looking at this thing and you're going, you know, cue Don Meredith, turn out the lights, the party's over. And by that time, it was Russell Wilson's fourth touchdown pass of the afternoon. One other touchdown going to DJ Dallas, the rookie running back in there. He ends up getting a one yard rushing touchdown to finish it off to put the Seahawks up 37 to 20 late in the game. And how about DJ Dallas? I know it's not the most impressive performance running the ball. He had some first down runs that that weren't huge, but you know, you saw him turn up field on the one touchdown where he just barely stepped out of bounds and missed his first touchdown. Russell Wilson able to throw him the touchdown pass a little bit later, right after a play where he missed the, uh, what looked like it was supposed to be a handoff. They kind of got screwed up a little bit there and Russ having to try and run it in but uh, able to get DJ Dallas's first touchdown after that. I, I just want to give a little credit to the rookie for coming in with all the dudes banged up and having you know his first two touchdowns of his NFL career and not doing anything to screw this up because sometimes you could see with rookies, it's too, uh, the moment's too big for them. With that, you could see that that wasn't the case with Dallas. Absolutely. He did come in prepared. He knew what he was supposed to be doing except for the one play. And so... <laughs> You know, give him a lot of credit for that. I mean, that's all you can ask out of a dude. And as far as the rest of it, uh, you know, I mean, he did get the two touchdowns, and that's really cool. Yeah. I, I'm really excited for the young man that way. Uh, you know, as far as the running goes and all that stuff, yeah, he did he did fine. Yeah. I, I mean, think, he came I in and it, he did uh, what... I think people who said that earlier on in the season where, you know, you were questioning whether or not he could be a, a bell cow type of running back, and you obviously had a very distinct take on that. And I don't think those people are going to be bothering you after this game. No, I don't think they will. I mean, he's very average looking running back. But hey, your fourth string running back comes in and gives you that performance. That's a win. Yeah. 
And so to the rookie, you know, first game where he's really getting a lot of touches and is the focal point of the running game, give him a lot of credit and hats off to him and congratulations to him. I listened to his uh, uh, interview after the game. Russ uh, made it so that instead of him speaking last, which is customary, he actually made it so that DJ Dallas would speak last. I think that's really, really classy of Russ there. And um, I, I just, I like the kid's attitude. I, he seems like a really nice guy. He reminds um, me of Thomas Rawls and his personality. Just, you know, that uh, bouncing around kind of carefree, you know, love playing football type of, uh, of personality. I think you're right on that. So uh, good for him. I think one of the guys that needs to be talked about, and I've seen a, a couple of field goals articles uh, this last week, kind of highlighting him. I want to actually highlight a couple unsung, unsung heroes. Oh, good. Here. I, I have one, too. Man, maybe we both have the same one. Okay, so people talked about Dwayne Brown's performance in this game, and he was awesome. He, and he's been really awesome this whole year. He's moving really well. He's very powerful. He's pass protecting well. Dwayne Brown is the all pro that we traded for. It, it's awesome. Okay, good. That was that was the first guy that came to my mind when you were talking when you brought up unsung heroes. Dwayne okay. Brown immediately came to my mind and in this game was huge. Didn't give up a single pressure and he's kind of, he's been that way all season. So I mean, to the midway point of the season for Dwayne Brown to be playing as well as he has been, I think he, he really needs to get a lot more credit. The other guy that I, I want to point out because we haven't heard basically a word about him for the whole season. And that's the entire point is Brandon shell. Mm. Yeah. Give that guy some love. He's come in and he's replaced a Fetty, which I get is a low bar, but I mean, it's been night and day, his play compared to a Fetty's. Absolutely. I mean, the, the lack of penalties, you know, giving a very, what I would call an above average performance at right tackle. He's been very solid in what an upgrade. What a fine. This is a guy that the New York Jets said couldn't play. Yeah, right? they, they, they wanted to have George Fant. And that's who's taken over that position. And now I think they're questioning that after, you know, to the board, the middle point of the season. Yeah, just just a little bit. Right. But he hasn't been talked about at all. And I think that's another huge acquisition in this offseason. That's one of the big reasons why this offense is hanging 35 a game on people. Yeah, the offensive line as a whole. I you I, I brought up no pressures by Dwayne Brown. They had five for the entire offensive line in this game against the 49ers and okay yeah they're hurt but they do have the ability to send blitzers they you know Fred Warner I know you you poo-pooed him a little bit but you know he has the they, they could make some things happen on defense to try and put more pressure on Russ but I think they see what happens when you send guys against a quarterback like Russell Wilson versus a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo because well because going back to DK Metcalf, even the one of the catches that we didn't bring up was the long bomb down the left sideline. Watching some of that mic'd up DK Metcalf tape, they featured that play. And it was interesting because you saw DK down at the bottom of the screen. And as the safety comes up into the box, DK Metcalf just gives a little hand signal to Russell Wilson to say, hey, I got single coverage over here against my dude. And so that they, they send the blitzer uh, uh, on Russ. The offensive line picks it up. Russ just lays it up for DK Metcalf to run under it. Beautiful pass and a huge gain. It was an awesome throw and catch. Um, it just was part of DK's dominating performance. And, you know, last week is Tyler. This week it's DK. 
Pick your freaking poison, NFL. Good luck. <laughs> I, I I don't know how you stop it because and then you have David not, Moore in there making you know key plays when needed. Absolutely, very clutch key plays and and does great with those end arounds and the jets jet sweeps and and all that stuff and keeps the hits off of Tyler Lockett doing those things, which I think is really important. I and the think about it is is good luck NFL stopping it just because. They're not doing it the same way week in and week out. It's not just like, for example, the Bills we'll talk about coming up. I mean, early in their season, they were bombs away all season, and it was all deep crossers. That's what it was. Mm -hmm. I mean, JT O'Sullivan does a really good breakdown on his YouTube channel, the QB School, uh, early on in the season. And he's just like, oh, look here, two crossers. Look here, two crossers. Look here. Two crossers, and it was just over and over and over again. And that's not what's happening here with the Seahawks. Like, they're doing it all sorts of different ways and getting the ball to whoever's open, and they'll eat your lunch. And it's great to watch. I mean, it it is annoying in the sense that it does put your defense out on the field really quickly and time of possession becomes hard, but it is fun in the sense that you never feel like you're out of a game. And it also... I think sets up and sets Ken Norton and Pete Carroll free to play the type of defense like they did in this last game against the 49ers because Pete Carroll in the past, I mean, he's played defense like he's played it, you know, not blitzing much and not taking risks and don't give up the explosives. Right. Because I think he was afraid that his offense couldn't go tit for tat with something like that. Well, now every time you have the ball, you feel like you're scoring. Right. Mm -hmm. So at that point on defense, then go balls out. If you get beat, so what? You go back out there and you score again. Instead of doing the death by a thousand cuts, be like, hey, either we're getting a turnover or we're sacking you twice and getting the ball back, or you're going to score a touchdown real quick and we get off the field and we catch our breath and the offense goes back out there and just jellies it down your throat. I love it. That's how I want them to play from here on out is that sort of aggressive uh, style of play. And we did see even some of that aggression continue to play out in the fourth quarter. It was just that Mullins did a whole lot better job than Garoppolo at picking up the blitz. And you did see him blitz on a couple spots. And you saw Mullins end up you know, throwing to the right guy and getting some big gains in the fourth quarter. And that's why they were able to march down the field pretty quickly, especially on that drive that led up to uh, where they went for the two-point conversion. Right. And you were Mm -hmm. at that point, you're thinking, oh, gosh, if they get the two point conversion here, they're only down one score. And uh, fortunately, Dunbar able to to put his hands on the dude that went to the ground before he got to the goal line to keep that two point conversion, which was initially counted. But stopping that two point conversion was key. And then the 49ers had to try the onside kick. You saw the Seahawks take that and put another touchdown on the board. And so that was that was good to see when they had it in a situation with with still time left on the clock, a short field, they said, okay, you know what? Yeah, we'll run the ball down the field and we'll score a touchdown. Absolutely. That's closing. That's finishing the game. And I was really happy to see that because we've seen times this year where the Seahawks have had a difficult time closing a half or closing the game. And that it was awesome. I, I really enjoyed that. Uh, you know, I think this fourth quarter really proved that we were right in the sense of Nick Mullins is probably the third best quarterback in this division. I think we said that this offseason. Third or fourth. Yeah, he, he either him or Goff, right? People thought we were kidding. You know what? It's funny because with the 49ers playing uh, Thursday night football. That, that was my next question. As a 12, 
how do you feel about this game? Are you hoping that the Packers win or the Niners win? Well, because of course you always want the stupid freaking Niners to, to lose. That always feels good on the inside. Yeah. But then the Packers are maybe our closest competition with the Bucks for the number one seed at this point. Number one, you root for the meteor. Number two, yes. you root for the 49ers to lose. And then number three, okay, well, if the Packers lose, then fine. All right. I just didn't know what order I was supposed to root in here. <laughs> that's the root, that, That's the order I'm rooting in. Okay. All right. So meteor. Meteor number one. Okay. All right. I'm with you. I, it's unlikely, but, you know, doesn't mean you can't root for it. I mean, I, I don't have the odds for it, but yeah, you're probably right. They're not good. They're about as good as the odds of Aaron Rodgers coming back and winning a game that he trails in. I think it's about the odds of Josh Allen coming back in a game and beating the Seahawks defense. Yeah, I, I'd probably take Josh Allen at this point. He's got more weapons. Over the Meteor and over Aaron Rodgers? Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Turnovers have been an issue for Buffalo, though, this year. They're in the bottom half of the league coming into this game against the Seahawks. Minus one on the season. Seahawks are plus seven. Saw turnovers come up big in the game against the Niners. And they're putting it on the ground, fumbling the ball. And I think Josh Allen has a little bit to do with that. He's thrown five picks this year. There's other disparities uh, between these two teams that we can get more into. But how are you feeling now with the Seahawks going on the road at 10 a.m. Pacific start time where the Seahawks have been money in uh, over the last four years and Russell Wilson playing in a stadium that he's never played in before? Well, I feel pretty good because I believe the average uh, margin of victory during the Russell Wilson era over the Bills is something like 55 points. <laughs> right. They, I mean, it's only one game, but I, it, it, that's the average well, they margin put up, of victory. They put up 50 in Toronto. And yeah. then I think, weren't you and I at the, was it a Sunday night or Monday night game? And I think they put up 30 some points on the Bills too. Oh, Maybe. I thought they'd only played him once in the Russ era. No, they played him once in Toronto, and then they played him in 2016 in Seattle. Oh, and I thought we okay. went to that game, but you know, maybe they. No, all... I I can say for a fact I didn't go to that game. Okay, I could I, I barely remembered it existed, but yeah, I know I do feel pretty good about it, only because I didn't realize the Bills' defense had the struggles this year as much as they do. Wait, you don't remember the Bills? Wasn't the one? Wasn't the Bills game the one with the UK Seahawkers that they came over for? Oh, you're right. We And Tyrod was the quarterback. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're 100% right. Because I remember podcasting with those dudes after the game at the Pyramid Bar. No, you're 100% right. 0% wrong. You're, you're right. Adam's I'm been wrong. to so you're many games. He just forgets about when the Seahawks played the Bills last. You're the best. I'm the worst. <laughs> you're good looking. I'm unattractive. You're smart. I'm dumb. But let's talk Bill's defensive line. <laughs> That was one of the things going into the season was you know, when we looked down the schedule and when we were assuming that maybe the Seahawks wouldn't have the best offensive line because historically they haven't. And historically, the Bills have had a good defensive line. You looked at this game and went, oh, geez, that's going to be a tough one come week eight. You really did. And especially with looking at the defensive side of the ball, I, I really felt like that Bills defense was going to be a lot better defensively. I mean, they had been. The year prior, McDermott's an excellent defensive coach. Uh, most of their personnel was coming back. I mean, they had White on the outside. He's a hell of a corner. Yeah. And you just kind of felt like, hey, this this team is going to be one to reckon with. And now that you look at the matchup, and when you've seen half a season play out, and you kind of understand what uh, 
you know, these teams are, you are who you are at this point. The Bills, that, that defense is no good. So their defense and our defense, six of one, half does the other. I mean, the, it's basically the same thing. Offensively, uh, the Bills have kind of been untracked the last couple of weeks. They haven't been scoring the ball very well and really eked out a win against the Patriots who had a terrible game plan kind of going into that. He goes, run right, run left, QB draw, dink and dunk, you know, one pass and then run right, run left. And they barely were able to stop that. Well, and that's what I was going to say. When you say the the defenses, there's really not much difference. The difference that I see is that the Bills struggle to, to stop the run. So even if it's a DJ Dallas out there, I, I like Dallas's chances against this Bills defense more than I do against what we saw from against the 49ers defense. Yeah, I mean, we're just not going to run the ball, so I don't really care. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it, so it doesn't really matter. So what it really comes down to to me Adam's a is, stat nerd now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a stat nerd. I'm a realist. That's what we're doing now. That's what we're doing. I, I mean, I'd like to run it a little bit more, but we're not. So, uh-huh. yeah, it's just accepting what is. Right. It, but it comes down to, to me, the defenses will probably play close to a draw, and it comes down to which quarterback doesn't make a mistake. And I... I'll put money on Russell Wilson all day in that matchup. I'd like Josh Allen. I think he's a great up and coming quarterback and he's got a lot of talent and his ceiling is very high, but he still makes the bonehead play every now and then and just trying too hard. And if you can get him down a score or two, he'll make that one mistake and then it's game over. Yeah. And that's why immediately when we started talking about this, I brought up the turnover margin because I, I do think that that's going to play into this game. They're going to make a mistake at some point, And can you capitalize on that mistake? So the other huge disparity that I saw looking at these two teams, the Seahawks, they've scored 32 touchdowns this season, which also leads the NFL. Buffalo, 23 team touchdowns, and they haven't even had their bye week yet. Oh, wow. So struggling a little bit. What's their red zone percentage this year, I'd wonder? And I, I would guess it would be higher this year than last year, just because of the addition of Diggs. I mean, he's a hell of a receiver. And you you'd think that that would make a big difference for them. You would think so. I, I just think, before I look it up, I'm going to say I think they're good inside the red zone when they're able to run the ball well. Um, and so that might not actually show up in the stats very well. But I do think that that is what gives the Seahawks a bit of an advantage going into this game, just their ability to stop the run. Because... That's what they did against the 49ers. They shut down the run and there you, you saw how their offense couldn't move. And I think the Bills, after what we saw from them early on in the season, now we've seen them have to rely on the run game a little bit more. And whether it's, you know, the two-headed monster of, of Moss, the rookie, and Singletary, and Josh Allen moving the ball with his feet, it's going to be a similar type of game in a way to the Arizona Cardinals, although, I mean, obviously Josh Allen isn't as quick as Kyler Murray is, but if the play breaks down, Allen is going to be running with the football. Yeah, and he's actually very good at doing that. It's going to be a lot different than the Niners game as well, because he's not just going to be a sitting duck back there like Garoppolo. And I know his ankle was hurt, but he he's always been that kind of player. Uh, Josh Allen's not that sort of guy. I mean, he really can move and move well. He's got good instincts in the pocket. So I expect that the sack numbers probably won't be like they were last game. And people be like, ooh, it was the pass rush a mirage. But I think the pressures should be very similar. Because I do think they're going to dial it up against him. Especially with an offensive line that's banged up. 
And that's also going to hurt the Bills when it comes to trying to establish the ground game. I'm not sure that they're going to do it. There hasn't been a team that has legitimately you know, just kind of dominated on the ground this season against the Seahawks. They've been pretty good against the run. And I know the statistics don't match that exactly, but just eyeball test, I'm telling you, they've been pretty good. Red zone scoring percentage for Buffalo this season, 62%, which puts them at number 13 in the NFL. The Seattle mm-hmm. Seahawks, 88%, which is you know mm-hmm. just a ridiculous number. Uh, 62% is it's okay. Kansas City, 64%. Jacksonville, 64%. I don't think they're I don't think they're getting to the red zone as often. But yes. uh, <laughs> you know, it's uh San Francisco was 73% inside the red zone for their scoring percentage. I think I saw a graphic during the San Francisco game, and I and I could be wrong, but they were talking about like red zone percentage from the week previous. And it, they had a hundred percent up there, and it was four touchdowns and two field goals. That's not a hundred percent. Yeah, when you're inside the twenties, it's touchdown or I mean, kicking a field goal. Yeah, is not success. It is not success. That is a failure. And I remember seeing that graphic and just kind of chuckling and being like, <laughs> "Wow, funny. they're really they're really trying hard to make this Niners team sound like uh, they're better than they are." Yeah, so we can look over at red zone scoring attempts per game, and that that gives you a, a bit of an idea of of how often they get into the red zone. And they're actually among the top teams in the league with four red zone scoring attempts per game. Okay, Seattle at three point six, which is about middle uh, middle of the pack. I'd expect the Bills to be able to move the ball in this game. Uh, they they will score a bit. It's going to be a lot tighter than this last game against the Niners. But again, I just think that. Josh Allen will make the one mistake and Russ won't be the difference in the game. Mm-hmm. And the Seahawks will go to seven and one and, you know, continue our dominance over the AFC East. Uh, another terrible division. All the worst football is played out East. All of it, huh? All of it. Well, I suppose the Patriots stink. The Jets stink. Buffalo's the Dolphins, the one good uh, one though. They're, they're six and two. Yeah. They're the one good team. Yeah. And then there's the NFC East. Yeah, we don't need to talk about them. It's a giant, giant bit of stink out there. Yeah. (laughs) And it's a joke show how much we see those teams in prime time this season. How did that uh, Eagles game get on Sunday Night Football last week? I have no idea. I mean, they could still flex, right? They could. I mean, you would, right? But I think because it was Eagles Cowboys, right? They just expected that everybody would tune in anyway. Uh, Nope. I know. I tried I didn't watch not. A second I, I tried not to. I did tune in a little bit just to see how bad it was. Oh, really? Well, I yeah, because I saw on Twitter just people talking about how much of a joke this game was and questioning whether or not there were professional football players on either side of the ball. But <laughs> well, uh, you can question that for that whole division, and uh, that's interesting. But if we if we can beat the Bills, I think we'll make our uh, uh, we'll be able to complete our sweep of the AFC East. Oh yeah, yeah. And we need, uh, well, well, we'll get more into uh, the NFC West after the break. But you you wanted to know some of the pressure numbers associated with Josh Allen going into yeah. this game. And for Josh Allen, he's had 190 dropbacks with no pressure at all. Uh, and he's about 8.2 yards per attempt. He's completing 75% of his passes when he's not under pressure, 1,500 yards, 112 quarterback rating when not pressured. but. Under pressure, it's 
a little bit different story. I think because when he's under pressure, it uh, he tends to run the football and it kind of you, you can see that in his pro football focus numbers because his his grades under pressure aren't so good, except in the run game. He's got one of the best run numbers, according to pro football focus, when he is under pressure. So when he's taken off when running with the football, he's he's generally doing good things with his feet. Even when you look at it, at some of his blitz numbers, when you send blitzers, it's, you know, yards per attempt goes down 6.7, but he's not throwing interceptions either when you're blitzing him. Only one interception this season uh, that he's thrown when he's blitzed. So you want to get pressure on him, but I, at the same time, you, you kind of want him to, you, you want to contain him so he doesn't beat you with the, on the ground. It sounds like people aren't really getting a lot of pressure with their blitz packages. So just blitz and get the pressure. Yeah. And then uh, then at that point, have a guy spy on Allen to bring him down in the run game. And you've just, uh, you know, solved the entire Buffalo Bills offense. And that offensive line by the Bills, Adam, watching the Patriots game, you know, the Seahawks played the Patriots and that defensive line by the Patriots was not anything stellar. And Mm -hmm. they were they looked like the dominant defensive line going up against the Bills offensive line last week. Yeah. And it sounds like Mitch Morse is going to be out as well. Yeah. That's one of their better offensive linemen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It could be uh, it could be a feast. I mean, I don't know what Carlos Dunlap's uh, history looks like against uh, the Buffalo Bills being a fellow AFC player there for a number of years. Oh, sure. But. Yeah, I mean, he's got some familiarity and you got to figure Jamal Adams has some familiarity, right? I mean, he's been playing them twice a year for his entire career. I am stoked to see Jamal Adams back out on the field. I'm kind of excited to see Carlos Dunlap in a Seahawks uniform. He's going to be easy to spot because he's wearing a fullback number 43. Yeah, yeah, that was really bizarre. Uh, it, It didn't occur to me really. That his number in Cincinnati was 96. Right. And Cortez Kennedy, obviously, that number's retired in Seattle. They're, they're not going to allow him to wear 96 in Seattle. No, no, we're, we're not doing that. So, yeah, it, 43 is, is kind of bizarre. But, hey, whatever. Go out there and get it done. Maybe that's how many sacks you'll end up with this year. I would settle for that amount of pressures just by a defensive lineman. I would settle for half that many pressures yeah. out of him at this point. That'd be great. Between getting him, getting Rasheem Green back and hopefully healthy. I and being in and, and getting uh out of your own way and not being stubborn and playing Alton Robinson. Right. He had a he had a fantastic game yeah. against the the Niners. And this was a guy who showed out all offseason that people were you know, talking about, couldn't even get activated for the games there to begin with, finally gets his shot to really show what he can do. And did an amazing job of setting the edge, getting pressure, being physical, yet still having some speed and some bend and wiggle. I I thought he had an awesome game, and I'm really excited to see what he could do this next week. You know, that reminds me, talking about the guys who dropped into coverage on George Kittle, there was a snap where Alton Robinson dropped into coverage and was playing man-on-man with George Kittle on on one of those snaps. I think it was either the second or third quarter. I think that was really cool because that was a lot of the games that Ken Norton was playing there throughout the game. Mm -hmm. You didn't know. I mean, it was those kind of exotic, you know, Rex Ryan-y sort of blitzes, right? Where you got all these dudes standing up. You don't know who's coming, who's dropping, what's going to happen. It was, uh, it was just really cool. And I think if you can disguise your coverages and, and really bring the heat just like that against a guy like Josh Allen, 
you will cause him to make that mistake. And have, like you said, having Jamal Adams back will be a, a huge part of that. I think he has a point to prove about uh, just how important he is to this defense. And look, I think they finally have decided, well, let's unleash Wags and because he's dying inside mm-hmm. uh, trying to, you know, just play this style of defense. Let's let's let him feel good about life and uh, go get him. More Bobby Wagner is always a good thing. And I, I like him having a little chip on his shoulder, if that's what that was going into the game with all the talk around what a great up and coming player Fred Warner is. And, Bobby and he's Wagner. a nice player. Oh, yeah, he's uh, a nice player. Yeah, absolutely. He deserves to be credited among when when talking about the top linebackers in the NFL right now. Oh, without question. But yeah, Bobby Wagner, you know, he he showed a, a little bit different gear than we've seen from him this season so far. He, he actually really turned it on. So more uh, of that. So look, I want more of that for, against Buffalo. Yeah. Look for that to continue. I feel good going to this game. I'm really psyched about it. I can't wait uh, to get to sit down here at the cabin and uh, watch the Hawks. And uh, I will be staying here the whole game. There's no way okay. I'm leaving. And I, and that will help. Now that I, I do have a very important question though. Uh-huh. I I've been wearing one hoodie throughout the entire uh, season so far. Yeah. Now we ended up losing, uh, you know, against the Cardinals when I was wearing that, but I was wearing it again against the Niners and we blow them out. I actually had two new ones show up in the mail. Oh, uh, today. Do I chance the new hoodie? No, no, no. I think it was, it it could have been a combination of the hoodie versus the location last time. Mm. Just don't mess around with it. Oh, actually last week I was not wearing the hoodie. I was wearing against the Niners. I was wearing, my original Seahawks. Oh, hoodie. okay. Well, maybe you're fine then. It's tough, to, it's tough it, to work with the combinations, and you hate to do the midseason adjustments. The switcheroos, yeah. But I kind of feel like one of these hoodies is a Super Bowl hoodie. <laughs> one of these new ones. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. You're feeling it, huh? Yeah, I am. Okay. I just don't know who's beating Russell Wilson this year. I feel like this is a good second half of show conversation. Okay. Well, let's do that then. Getting into the second half of the show. I'm glad that we can talk football this week, Adam. This is a good week to talk football. It is. I mean, this whole week has been awesome because we got to watch the Niners get just mollywhomped and everybody loves that. We got this election thing behind us. Like, that's done now. Oh, it's done? Wait, hold on. Just one (laughs) second. Wait, what? Oh, I've got something in my ear. Oh, this is going to go on for weeks. (laughs) Cool. Yeah, let's talk football instead. Yeah, because because uh, that was one of the things that we heard through our Facebook group, Adam, was that uh, people were ready for a show this week. And now yeah, now yeah. that it's coming out at the end of the week, they're really going to be ready for it. So, see, you're welcome. Yeah, exactly. It's called delayed gratification. You guys all need to learn it. All right. Chill uh-huh. out. <laughs> Matthew McConaughey is a big fan of it, apparently. Is he? Yeah, I heard it on Joe Rogan podcast. Oh. He makes his kids like, you know, wait for everything. That's probably yeah. mean. <laughs> They're not going to grow up with uh, any kind of, uh, you know, uh, problems, no, no, I'm sure. Just, yeah, I, I think it actually does, uh, you know, teach a good lesson. I mean, the example he gave is when he won his Oscar for, uh, oh, whatever that is, Buyers Club, the Dallas Buyers Club or whatever that movie's called, where he lost all the weight. Like yeah. he lost all that weight and the kids were like, this is weird. And uh, then it was like a year and a half later, he actually won the award mm. and the kids were like, what'd you get that for? He's like, remember a year and a half ago when I was doing all that stuff? Now I'm getting recognized for it. Oh, that's cool. Teaching yeah. his so kids it's like, lessons. Yeah. Like if you put in the work and you put in the, 
the effort that you'll get dividends, you know, down the road, a lot like Russell Wilson, who we know nobody works harder than he does. Nobody prepares harder than he does separations in the preparation and holy crap. We're seeing it this year. We are. This is, I, I feel like it's kind of a broken record at this point that Russell Wilson, we're seeing him do things. We're seeing him talk in different ways too, though. Even when you think back to just some of the robotic stuff, you know, it's, that's still there, but I feel like you're seeing more uh, mentorship out of him now at this point in his career. And that's, mm-hmm. that's really cool to see. Oh, it really is. No doubt about it. And uh, it's been interesting to watch him grow this year into really kind of being the Papa bear of the whole team. I mean, it's been Russ's team for a bit here and, uh, and all that, but it's definitely fun to watch him kind of grow here. Well, you're talking about going into the break, Adam, which team is going to be able to beat Russell Wilson this year. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if I have a good answer for you. No, I thought for a second there, for a hot second, I thought it would be Tampa. And then we watched Tampa play the Giants. Yeah, and have like all the struggles (laughs) with with (laughs) the freaking Giants until Daniel Jones like crapped the bed and Uh screwed it up. I, I don't understand how the Bucks offense can go through these um, these kind of stretches of just ineptitude with all the talent that's there with Gronk playing better. Gronk and playing Tom getting more in rhythm. They're yeah. going to have Antonio Brown coming to the team here. Yeah, that's not a that's that's a subtraction by addition. Well, he's got talent, though. It's still subtraction by addition. It does kind of feel like it's a collision course between the Seahawks and Bucks at some point in the playoffs, though, right? It surely does. I mean, we're going to see them, right? I mean, the Bucks will beat the Saints this weekend, right? Right? <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I mean, they lost yeah. to them week one, but I do feel like they're, I do feel like they're kind of figuring things out to an extent now to this point in the mm-hmm. season, even though they barely got by the Giants. And the Saints, man, that offense, it, it's tough to watch. Well, like, Michael Thomas being is out a- is a huge hit to that team. Well, yeah, if he wasn't such a powder, he'd be back in. Yeah. What's his deal this year? Uh, when did he go full diva? I don't know. I had heard two words from freaking Michael Thomas his entire career. And then all of a sudden this year, the last season for Drew Brees as the quarterback there, they're trying to win a chip and he goes off the reservation. Like you couldn't wait a year on that one. Wait till Drew's gone. Yeah. And then try and work the reservation your way out of town. On Taysom Hill. Yeah. What, what is this? I do think Thomas is going to be back this week for the Bucks, and that's going to be the Sunday night game. That'll be that'll be interesting to watch, at least that divisional matchup. But you look at the the Bucks schedule, and they do have some games coming up that could be tough for them. That you know the Rams could give them a game, the Chiefs could give them a game, obviously. But in the division, they're clearly the best team in the South this year, and finishing off the season against teams like the Vikings, Falcons, Lions, and then the Falcons again. I, I do feel like they're going to have a, a nice stretch there in December going into the playoffs. Yeah, I think they're our biggest competition for the one seed. And then Green Bay is the other team. And after kind of a torrid start, you've seen Aaron Rodgers really kind of cool off here the last few games. And you know, teams starting to figure out a little bit of what LaFleur is up to this year and just kind of slowing them down. And I just... I don't think Aaron Rodgers has the energy in the hood spot to actually hold it together for a full season now. I mean, he got prematurely old, I think. Yeah, and I just don't think that he 
has the weapons. That was the big criticism this offseason was go out and get Aaron Rodgers some dudes to throw to. And at the trade deadline, they had the opportunity to trade a second, it sounded like, to get Will Fuller from the Texans. And I just don't see that if you're the Packers trying to make a run this season, why don't you pull the trigger on that? Because it's a second for Will Fuller. It's something. Why the hell would you give up a second round pick for injured Will Fuller? Hey, when you're going to get three quarters out of the guy, that's worth a second round pick. I don't think so. The Patriots paid a second for uh, Muhammad Sanu, and that was stupid. Right. But the, the Niners gave up a third for Emmanuel Sanders. And that was smart because Emmanuel Sanders is actually good. Yeah. uh, Okay. And stays healthy generally. Yeah. Whereas Will Fuller, you do have the questions around his health. Absolutely. That guy can't string together five games for the life of him. I don't know why the Texans don't send him away for a fourth if that's what the Packers were willing to give up. Yeah, I I wouldn't have given up higher than a fourth or a fifth. There's no way. I think Packers did the right thing there. But you do bring up an excellent point in regards to their weapons and or lack thereof. I think the Seahawks, if you do match up with the Packers later on this year in the playoffs, I think they've had to have learned their lesson from last year, right? Double uh, Devontae Adams, whatever it takes. All the guys. All the guys on Devontae yeah. Adams. Yeah, you, you know, you get you let guys like what Lazard try to beat you. Yeah. Good luck. Well, and the Seahawks, obviously, this is going to be one of their first games against Buffalo now where Adams is back. Dunbar is on the field. Hopefully Griffin's back. We've had one game with all three of those guys on the field. <laughs> right. I guess I hadn't thought about it in those terms. You're 100% right on that. And also, too, I mean, we've seen this Seattle team do this year in and year out where they struggle a little bit early in some aspect of the game. Um, usually the record isn't six and one. So yeah. that's kind of a bonus that we are. But you really see them. It's a right about now this third quarter of the season where they really start to put together and go on a tear. And I would re- I would be really excited to see them give the same sort of performance against Buffalo that they gave against the Niners. Because at that point, you're looking at this saying, oh, here we go. Like they're, they're ready to make this run peak at the right time. And just in time for us to polish off the Rams and really put them out of their misery going down the stretch here because they're in Strugglesville. It just in the rest of the division, of course, and actually go and get revenge against Arizona. Mm-hmm. I, I, they're going to win this division. I think they'll have the one seed. And I'm really looking forward to this defense improving over the next three, four weeks. Yeah, and that really is the critical part, the defense improving, because even if the offense loses a step and it doesn't look like they're going to with, you know, as long as everybody's staying healthy with Lockett and Metcalf, and we we still haven't seen the tight ends really mixed into the offense as much as we thought that they could going into the season. They haven't needed to do it. I saw a stat going into this game that if they score at least 25 points in Buffalo, they'll be just the sixth team to score at least 25 points in each of their first eight games of a season in NFL history. Only six teams have done that. Okay. All right. Five right now. You hope that the Seahawks can, they, they should be able to score 25 in Buffalo. I'd be surprised if they didn't. Weather's supposed to be good. You kind of worry about that in November sometimes. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. It's like in the 60s, I think the weather report said. Yeah, that's weird. For Buffalo? Mm-hmm. In November? Yeah, it is yeah. weird. Yeah, that's weird. You know who's not weird? Mm, yeah, mom. <laughs> Our members of the flock. <laughs> oh, right. They're they're not weird either. They're actually pretty pretty amazing people. 
They are. And we got some new folks to welcome this week, starting with Eugene Houston, who is in at 1212. Eugene wrote us a nice little novelette here. Eugene says, hey, guys, I'm originally from Everett, Washington, where I fell in love with the Seahawks at an early age. My aunt has been a season ticket holder since 1980. She took me to my first game where Kelly Stoffer was in for the injured Dave Craig <laughs> and throwing to Steve Largent and handing off to Kurt Warner. I was hooked from that moment on. I moved out of state after graduating high school in 1996. So, hey, right in our, our same yeah, age yeah. range here. Moved to Las Vegas back in 2001. But the one constant all these years has been my love for Seattle Seahawks football. I've been a freeloader since the Kansas City game in week 16 of the 2018 season and decided mm. it was finally time to get in the flock. I do have a couple things to add, though. And my first is I have a do better for Adam. Why is it always for me? I don't know. That's it, weird. Adam, <laughs> it's not weird. It I love sense. hearing you and your passion for Seahawks football. But my do better goes back to right before the season started. Brandon made yeah. a comment and wondered if the Raiders were going to succeed here in Las Vegas. Adam quickly responded with a resounding no. If the Raiders succeed here is not the reason for my do better. It is the next sentence out of Adam's mouth when he said, I guess they have a hockey team and it has been mildly successful. Mildly successful? To say the Golden Knights have been mildly successful in Vegas, you might as well have said the Titanic was a minor incident. The Golden <laughs> Knights have exploded here and has been absolutely freaking unbelievably popular and loved by the city. I know most outsiders see our city as just a four-mile stretch of road with huge hotels and casinos, but if you look around, it is a valley of over two million residents who want absolutely nothing to do with the Strip. In fact, with the exception of the Golden Knights games before COVID, of course, I can count on one hand the number of times my wife and I have been on the Strip in the past five years, and every one of those was because family or friends were visiting. So to Adam and calling the Golden Knights mildly successful in Las Vegas. Do better. Uh, all right. Uh, uh, here's the thing for Eugene. Okay. Well, number one, go Hawks, Eugene. But oh, uh, I, I will get to that. I was I was just giving you a chance to respond to uh, his do better. Call oh, out for is you. there more to the novelette? But just one more little bit. I'll finish it off. It says, okay. I will end with a better at life. And that is for Brandon and Adam. You two share a love for the Seahawks as we all share. And you bring us a podcast every week that I check my phone every morning for. When I see the new podcast, I'm quick to turn it on and listen for the next 90 minutes or so. So for putting on the best podcast out there, for cheering on for the correct team, and for putting this all together, Brandon and Adam, you two are better at life than Skip Bayless. Go Hawks from Eugene. All right, go Hawks, Eugene. That, see, that feels better. I like the way that all flowed. Yeah, and, that and way it didn't better. end with him just telling yeah. you to do better. Yeah. Well, okay, a couple things. Number one, I know Jack and Catfish about hockey. Okay. I've never pretended to be a hockey expert. Um, I have all my teeth. So that, that shows that I never played hockey. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know anything about it. Uh, I just know that they won the, the cup, I think, their first year. Something like that. Yeah. 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 So I'm going to call it fluky successful instead of mildly successful. How about that? <laughs> there you go. All right. The other thing is I just can't trust a city that doesn't have any water. I, I'm really worried about Eugene. This is this is why Las Vegas freaks me out. Yeah. And it's not because of Strip. I'm not a, 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 I, I hate the Strip just like he does. Yeah. And so I'm glad to know is that we're on the same page there. Why do people choose to live in an area with no water? That yes. seems like a bad call. It's going to be the first American ghost city. Get out what you can, Eugene. Get out now. I'm very worried for him. Thanks to Eugene for coming in. And yeah, 2018. So, oh yeah, he's under the two years. 
if it was the Kansas City game in 2018, that was probably late December-ish. So, yeah. It was? Yeah. Congrats, Eugene. Well done. Well done. Well played. And I think what we did is we screwed up when we made the freeloader period. We should have made it six months. Rather than two years? Yeah. We just would have gotten people in quicker. And just, I feel like there's a lot of... Well, you know, at the end of the day, maybe Matthew McConaughey would like this strategy because this is giving us a lot of delayed gratification. I think it came up from just people saying to us over and over when they got in the flock at gettingtheflock.com. We just got that message over and over that is people saying, well, it's been about two years. And so that just yeah. sounded right. Yeah. So it didn't I mean, come from I, us. It came from the flock. Yeah, exactly. And look, I, it makes some sense. I think that before you put a ring on the podcast, right, you know, and start you know, actually donating to the show, like you want to you want to get some dates in, make sure that it's, uh, you know, it's for you, that this is going to be a long term deal in your life. Yeah, it just and after two years, you should know. Yeah. So put a ring on it. Jalen Engel put a ring on it in at 1212 <laughs> says, hey, guys, I'm not sure you'll read my message on the show, but either way, I need to come clean about last week. I've been oh, listening no. to the show for close to two years on and off. And I think the reason we look at the L last week was my Hakra. The freeloader energy from my Hakra has taken over the defense as they have embraced that way of life and are freeloading off of Russell's culinary masterclass. Also, not that it matters, but I am in school for sports marketing, media and television at Dan Patrick's School of Sportscasting. Oh, wow. And if you would have me, I'd love to get some experience under my belt and talk some Seahawks with the best. Had to come clean before the Niners game. Go Hawks. I love that Jalen came in with the the kind of the Hawkra cleansing ahead of the Niners game. And then it all worked out for him. It did all work out for him. And uh, yeah, go Hawks, Jalen, number one. And then secondly, Brandon, we found our intern. Found our intern. Jalen can be our intern. Right. So Jalen, I'm really excited about this opportunity for us. So, I mean, I mean for you, because what we're going to do is send you a bunch of work to do. Have you on the show, of course, too, you know, like just to you know make you feel like you're getting something out of this and then we're not going to pay you. So I'm really excited to, to have you come on for that. I hope you are, too. Uh, but in all seriousness, I mean, heck yeah, man, if he's doing the, the school for broadcasting, I mean, why? Why not? He needs to get some. uh Needs to get some cuts in, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've got our flock, obviously. So really, the the nice way to step into this, Jalen, is to do some content exclusively for our members of the flock. And then that's your way to kind of get in easy to a a little bit more exclusive audience, a very friendly audience. And Mm -hmm. then that can, you know, once you get your feet wet, get comfortable, then then you can start working from there. So I, yeah. Adam's been asking about an intern for, gosh, I think mm-hmm. since episode 10. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the but the big problem here is that Jalen is, uh, well, he might be a very good looking dude, but he, he's not a female and not hot. It wouldn't hurt if he was, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo handsome, though, too. Oh, yeah. No, but, that, yeah. Because then he can draw some eyeballs to this show. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, were, that would work good. Dan Duncan came in $36. That's $3 a month for the whole year. So Dan coming in annually. Uh, Welcome to the flock to Dan. That's awesome. Appreciate it, Dan. And uh, good to have you, bud. Stephen Kirkpatrick back in with $60.10. Always like getting the donations from Stephen. And he's going to join us in the Discord group, Adam. Oh, happy day. See, that Discord group has been fun. Um, I'm getting better at it. Did I see that you have to pay to be able to use gifts? No, I think you can 
pay. I don't. There's some things that you can pay for with Discord though to upgrade uh, the the functions, but I don't think you have to pay to use gifts. Okay. Well, I'm still confused by the gifts. The, the, this Discord thing has been has been difficult on me, but I'm I'm getting better. Uh huh. Yeah. I only posted one message in the wrong place last time. That's fine. I let you know where to go. I'd already fixed it before you messaged me, by the way, <laughs> just for the record. I realized my own mistake. <laughs> it's funny, the, the usernames that I don't know if this was planned at all by our Discord mm. members, but we have like Freddie Swain's cat. We have Bobby Wagner's biceps. Oh, th- mm-hmm. it's, usually, it's like a player and something that the player owns. Is, yeah. There's so many usernames like that, and I, I don't know how that happened, but it's, it's become the Discord thing. Yeah, it really has. It makes me feel like I need to change my name. I know. What would you be? I'd be Russell Wilson's Wheaties. Yeah. The real Kurt Warner's headband. There we go. There we go. That's solid. I like the throwback aspect. Yeah. Tough to think on it. Yeah, it's tough to come up with off the top of your head. Jack Rainers in the flock at gettingtheflock.com gave us a raise to twelve twelve this past week. So coming in to the Facebook group says, I've been listening to you guys every week for the past three years. And although only one of those being a freeloader, I thought it was a great time to up the pledge. Appreciate everything you guys do, especially keeping us on the other side of the pond in the loop about the mighty Hawks. Only a couple things left to say. One, catfish the Rams, cards, and dirty Niners. Two, go Hawks from Jack. Yeah, Jack nailed it. And he also nailed his timing getting in the ring of honor because you'd want to do that on a Super Bowl year, don't you think? Would that be the most fun Mm -hmm. to get in the ring of honor during this Super Bowl year? I think it It makes sense. I I think it's, yeah, I think it's good timing. It's also a good year to be an executive producer. And uh, thanks to Dustin Mock and Brian Shaw. See, you could put that on your resume once the Seahawks Mm -hmm. win the Super Bowl. You can say an executive producer of the 2020 Seattle Seahawks Super Bowl champion Seahawkers podcast. Yeah, something like that. It really rolls off the tongue. That's the good part about it. (laughs) Uh, But I'm kind of curious, like, do you think Dustin and Brian have ever had a bad year? I don't think they have. No. No, I think they crush every year. They do. Yeah. But, you know, a Super Bowl season for the Seahawks would make that year even better. Yeah, that'd be like a, a cherry on top of their life Sunday. Oh, hey, this is the first show of the month, I think, for tinypiecesofseahawkstuff.com. Ooh, it is. And I feel bad because I didn't pick a winner. Okay, well, then it'll be delayed gratification for everybody till next week. <laughs> we will We will do it before. I'll make a note. I'll see. Mm-hmm. Here, I'll, I'll start the show sheet for the next episode. Because if I don't do it now, I'll forget about it. And uh, so, yeah, we will pick a winner next week. And we'll also have a new Tiny Pieces of Seahawks stuff. But it is too late mm-hmm. to put your uh, name in. Because I did say the end of October, your your name had to be in the hat. So uh, stay tuned next week for the winner. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we'll have a new Tiny Pieces of Seahawks stuff. But we can talk about the winner of the Pick'em League from this past week. Yeah, I mean, we could, but it wasn't me. <laughs> it so wasn't I'm not you. That so is it really worth <laughs> discussing? I don't know. Mark Dolphin got the win with 11 picks. He was one of five who got 11 picks correct. And Mark got the tiebreaker by getting his picks in first. Okay, I take it back. If I knew it was Mark, then I'd say it was worth talking about. Absolutely. So, Mark, a member of our 
Ring of Honor group. Yeah, long time member. Yeah. Like, yeah. Mark's the man. I did get a new prize in this week. I got the <laughs> autographed. You know how we did the autographed photo of Russell Wilson by the Seattle artist Keegan Hall? Yeah, that was dope. He did one of Shaquille and Shaquem Griffin, and it's signed. It's a, an art print signed by him and both of the Griffin brothers. Oh, oh, are you talking about my future Griffin brothers painting? <laughs> right. Yeah. It's not a painting. Cool. It's yeah. a pencil drawing and it's a print, but yes. Whatever. It's art, smarty pants. Okay. <laughs> I, and it's mine. Uh-huh. I just want to make sure you know that. Right. Yeah. So I'll, remember how you all just heard that, that Brandon had that? Scrub that from your brain. <laughs> it doesn't exist. It's mine. Yes. That'll be one of the end of season prizes for this year. For me. For Adam. Because <laughs> he's going to finish in the top five. I, I don't know how he's going to do it. I guess he'll have to run the table. Magic. The team's currently in the top four right now. Tuga Hawk at number one, Unlimited Hakra at number two, and I believe tied for third are Monday Morning Quarterback and Collier Greens. Yeah, you did you did a so-so job of reading those names. You really catfish up uh unlimited <laughs> hakra. I think it's supposed to be Monday morning because it's a, with a U. That mm. does, it just doesn't really it sounds like Monday morning quarterback, which you know, I think it's a what show or a blog. Yeah. Well, the MMQB, that's that uh, SI yeah, blog that, right. or, or article that was written by Peter King for years and years. And then he moved on. Yeah. But you don't, you don't want to be in, in, in mourning on Monday, do you? I guess if you're Jimmy Garoppolo, you're maybe a Monday morning quarterback. Well, I mean, I think that's unfair. I think it'd be an everyday morning quarterback. <laughs> Not just Monday. No, he fails every day. One guy who never fails is Jeremy. He's coming in with another batch of trivia for us, Adam. Hello, gentlemen. It's Jeremy from California. And my question last week was, there are three NFC teams Russ has never beaten on the road. Who are they? You are both correct in that it is Green Bay, who we're 0-3 against, and or Russ is 0-3 against. Uh, New Orleans, Russ has only played once on the road, and he did lose. Uh, the third team is where you disagreed. So... Adam thought it was Dallas, um, but Seattle has actually beaten Dallas twice on the road. Once was in 2015, uh, and you might remember that as the Matt Castle game, uh, and they managed to beat Matt Castle by one point, 13 to 12. In that game, Dan Bailey kicked four field goals. The second game was December 24th, 2017. Uh, the Seahawks won 21 to 12, and the Cowboys' only points were also for Dan Bailey field goals. You might remember that as the Justin Coleman jumping in the Salvation Army bucket game. Uh, In that game, also, Russell Wilson set a career low with 93 passing yards. So, Adam, you are uh, completely wrong. Uh, Brandon, you (laughs) guessed that the other team that Seattle has not beaten on the road was Tampa Bay. You are correct. They only played once in Tampa Bay. Somehow in Russell's nine years in the NFL, he's only played in Tampa once. That was 2016. And he lost the next time that they are scheduled to play in Tampa is 2022. So, uh, well done to Brandon and Adam. Do better. Uh, my next question for you <laughs> is a playoff question. In the playoffs, what NFC team has Russ beaten twice? And what NFC team has Russ lost to twice in the playoffs? Go Hawks. Ooh, go Hawks. All right. First, uh, First, I want to uh, actually defend myself a little bit on the Dallas pick. 
right? So Jeremy explained that Russ threw for 93 total yards and there's uh, four Dan Bailey field goals scored by the Cowboys in both games. You know what that sounds like to me? Forgettable. So like, there's no way I was going to remember those two games. You know, when but, he rattles those off, you think, oh, well, those were, yeah, not great games by the Seahawks in Dallas. They haven't played well there. Yeah, I scrubbed that from my brain for a reason. So thanks for bringing it back up, Jeremy. You'll do better. <laughs> but uh, back to the, the, the new question, which yeah. is good. So uh, NFC team, he's beaten twice. In the NFC team, he's lost to twice, correct? Right. Well, he's definitely beaten the Packers twice. NFC championship. And what would the other Packers game in the playoffs be? I don't think we've seen the Packers in Seattle twice in the playoffs. It feels like it though. Okay. No, I feel like we've seen the saints in the, I know we've beaten the Panthers, the cam interception game. Yep. What was the second one? We've beat them in Seattle twice. I swear to God in the playoffs, in the playoffs. And then we lost to them that one time where we were roaring back in the second half. And that was in Carolina though. Exactly. I don't know for the one for for me with the Panthers. I just remember the one game with Cam having the the big interception return. I could be wrong. Yeah, I think you're wrong on that one, too. Yeah. The Falcons. I think they've lost to the Falcons both times in the playoffs. I think that's the one that they've lost to twice. Yeah, you're right. You're 100 percent right on that. The team they've won against twice in the playoffs. Well, we beat the Niners in the NFC championship game. Do we have another playoff victory over the Niners? No. They beat the Vikings the one game in the the snowball mm-hmm. game. Was there a yeah. second Vikings matchup? I don't. I don't believe there is. I don't believe there is either. Like they got the Lions a couple years ago. Yeah, I the re- Eagles. I think it might be the Saints. Oh, because they beat the Saints to go to the NFC Championship. Wait, did he say in just Russell era or just Seahawks overall? Because. I mean, they beat the Saints in the Beastquake game, but oh, maybe it was the Pete Carroll era. I'm going to go with the Panthers. I'm going to throw the Panthers out there somehow. (laughs) We know they at least had one against the Panthers. Yeah. Well, thanks to Jeremy. He he was happy to know that as a a school teacher, that when he asks Mm -hmm. questions to us, we actually pay attention and answer his questions, unlike his his students. Yeah. Well, happy to oblige. I'm sorry I don't raise my hand. That's disrespectful. But uh, yeah. We also got another call from Hong Kong Hawk. Dave Bloomquist emailed in his call. Hey, Brandon. Hey, Adam. Oh, what a glorious weekend it was. A dominating game that's coupled with a Niners loss and a Rams loss and a Packers loss and a Cheatriots loss. Oh, I couldn't think of anything that made me feel better. Except for the fact that next week we're going to get snacks, we're going to get Adams back, and we're going to get to see Dunlap, and a defense that seems to have turned the corner is going to keep rolling, and this is just going to be a great season from here on out. And we even had a good weekend up in England. The Crows and the Chickens won, and also the Wolves. So I can't think of one bad thing that happened all weekend. Let's keep this rolling. Go Hawks. Go Hawks, Dave. And uh, <laughs> Blue <Bay. laughs> that, that was fun. I, I am a little concerned, though, that uh, Dave wasn't wearing pants for that uh, for that call. Like he seemed uh, uh, a little too gratified. Uh, there was there wasn't delayed gratification there. I no. think there was some other gratification <laughs> after 
listening to <laughs> after the Patriots. <laughs> How and excited there, he was. Yeah. I do have to correct one thing that he said, because Snacks Harrison is just never coming off the practice squad for the Seahawks. I'm convinced of that now. Yeah, uh, he's doing the ultimate. Keep getting them checks. Yeah, I'm 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 really proud of Snacks. Yeah, he is Charlie Whitehursting his way uh, through the 2020 yeah. season. Yeah, yeah. I, I just wish that I could somehow do the same. That was great. It's a great move by him. It is. Of course, he doesn't want to go anywhere else. He's got a, He's got it made right now. Yeah. But yeah, the the Dolphins beating the stupid Rams this past weekend. You know, if there's with no offense with no offense at all. No, they just yeah. waited for Goff to turn the football over and decided to <laughs> score. Flores has uh, that Rams offense number. There's no doubt about that. And uh, it was interesting to see Tua out there, it, but it is confusing. It's still confusing. I mean, he looked terrible. And well, hey, like, hey, let's wait and talk about this next week. We need him. We need to his confidence to be high going into this game against the Cardinals now. Okay, they're not. Well, they're not winning that game. No. No. Oh, bummer. Yeah. Well, one last email from John Davison, the Bard says, "Hi, fellas. Well, we bounced back and we got the win, and we were thirty to seven up." And the quarterback and the tight end are off the field and the backup QB is on. Relax and kick back. Hell no. He did a better job than Garoppolo. Our defense had looked good until then, but I thought, okay, then let's make him sweat a bit by not defending. (laughs) I always thought we would win as we were so far ahead. But what happened? We all got a bit of doubt deep down, didn't we? Go on, admit it. It was live on TV, so I could watch it all, and two people stood out for me. First was Damian Lewis, who I thought had a good game on the O-line, and then number 29 impressed impressed me with some good tackling and hits. No, it wasn't Earl Thomas. It was DJ Reed. That gives me hope that it doesn't always have to be a trade, as well as wheeling and dealing. So let's go east on Sunday and see off the bills. Only a couple more weeks after that, the schedule gets a lot easier, so keep going, everyone. Go Hawks from John. Hey, go Hawks, John. Um, I will admit there was a minute there where I thought to myself, we're just going to have to make this stressful, huh? Yeah, well, it's going to happen again against the Bills. Like, as, yeah. as confident as we are going into this game and as, you know, as, as much as the Bills have taken a step back from what we've seen from them, you know, through the first couple weeks of the season. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. just going to be a close game and we we just have to accept that. But knowing that, you know, would you rather have Josh Allen have the ball late in the game or Russell Wilson? And I, I feel like we can lean Russell Wilson every time on that. Yeah, every time for life. On to do better and better at life. <laughs> All right, man. Who you got for do better? My do better this week is for Andy Nesbitt of For the Win for USA Today. And we haven't talked about this yet, Adam. I'm a little bit surprised you didn't bring it up, but... This article titled Russell Wilson found a lame way to get a key penalty called against the 49ers. Russell Wilson, he got a helmet to helmet hit late in the game. It helped pick up a a penalty. It got him that much closer to the end zone. It was right before that final touchdown to put them up 37 uh, to the to the 49ers 20. Mm -hmm. And Russell Wilson, yeah, he was running the ball. It looked like he was head faking the defender to the left. And Ward came in from the right and gave him a helmet shot. I don't understand what Andy is trying to get at in this article 
because this wasn't this wasn't a situation where the refs were just protecting the quarterback. They were protecting a crown of the helmet shot. Yes, it's okay to tackle Russell Wilson in that situation when he hasn't completely gone into his slide and and the defender is coming in. But for people to defend this as though it's, you know, the NFL getting soft or the NFL protecting quarterbacks too much. No, this is trying to take the head out of the game. You know, go into a tackle with your head up. Use your shoulder. Don't go directly into the quarterback's side of his helmet or any player's side of the helmet. So Andy goes through this article, essentially calling out all the people that have the worst takes possible. Uh, Jeff Schwartz saying Russell Wilson totally baited the personal foul penalty. What was the defender supposed to do? The defender's supposed to go in and not with the crown of his helmet, make a tackle, not spear a guy with his helmet. So many other takes like this. So for Andy, for having this similar take himself and then compiling all the other people with his same bad take, do better. Yeah, man, I'd heard some of these takes and the the fellow that said that uh, Russell Wilson was baiting Jimmy Ward into a penalty there. And it's like, well, I don't think that was the case. Really, it looked like to me, Russ was thinking about sliding and then was like, no, maybe. Oh, yep. <laughs> and then and then went down. Yeah. You know, he, he just he just had a, a kind of a hiccup in processing there for half a second. I don't think it was anything intentional to try to get uh, a personal foul on Ward. No, now, Russell was not going into that thinking, how can I get a helmet shot to get us that much closer to the goal line? I can promise you that was not. Russell Wilson's intention because he doesn't want to take headshots. And I think going in through the rest of the season now, he's probably going to be more aware of that because you usually see him go down earlier than later. Yeah, absolutely. And especially during that point of the game, I mean, you're up big. You don't need the yardage. I mean, they're going to score anyways. Why would he risk having another uh, concussion and not protect the team right. over that? That, that? That's silly. There, There's no way that that was the thought process there. Um, so yeah, to all those guys, I think Russ was, you know, trying to game the system or, or something like that. Yeah. You should all do better. That's ridiculous. Who do you got? My do better this week is for every single person that got outraged over a tweet that the gap put out here that over the last couple of days and, uh, the gap, they, you know, right after the election, they put out this tweet. And it was a picture of a hoodie and one half of it was blue and one half of it was red and it zipped up in the middle to make it one hoodie. Oh, and it, and it said, the one thing we know is that together we can move forward. A blue heart and a red heart. Nice. Nice message. You know, after we're done with this, maybe we could hate each other a little less. I don't know. I mean, I seem I, that to me seems like a decent freaking message. Uh-huh. Well, people went out and lost Catfish. damn minds. I am never like, shopping at Gap again. How dare they suggest that I should love my relatives that maybe voted for somebody different than me? Yeah, yeah. How dare they? And how dare they say, let's not hate uh, you know, people just like that. It's unbelievable. And so basically the the vitriol, the outrage culture that came pouring out of the uh, the cracks here was so immense that they had to take down the tweet in something like 37 minutes. What? Yeah, they, they immediately took it down because there were so oh, 57 minutes. I'm sorry, uh, because of people running their Catfish. mouth over how you shouldn't call for unity and to maybe get along with your fellow American. 
unbelievable. This is stupid. So to everybody that lost their damn mind and doesn't understand what a good positive message is, do better. Well, great, Adam. Now you're bringing this to the do better on the show. And now by you calling that out as uh, now we're going to have to take down this podcast 57 minutes from the time it goes out. Do I strike you, Brandon, as somebody who would fold to a few (laughs) mean tweets? No, probably not. No, I'd say catfish, y'all. And it's going to be up there. That's exactly what I would say. Oh, that's uh, I know it would make you a little more uncomfortable, but uh, yeah, we're not we're not giving it. I don't think I'd respond in quite that way, but yeah, it seems to be like, I, I just have to say, I don't go to the news to tell me how I should feel about family members and friends who I've known my entire life that maybe voted a different way than me to, what? to, to how, to how I should feel about their, uh, my relationship with them based on a voting record. I don't know. That's just, that's just how I operate. What? You don't let the you don't let the talking face on the television tell you how to feel about your friends and family or the politicians of this country? I don't understand that. That's who else would you trust to let you know uh, how you should feel about the people that are closest to you in your lives? If I knew, I don't even know who you voted for, Adam. So and I don't really care because I've been friends with you for 40 years. Yeah. Um, Yeah. No, I'll tell you straight up. Remember back when we were talking about Packers Niners tonight? uh, Yeah. Yeah. Meteor. On to better life. Yeah, I like this section better this week anyways. Positive, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my better life than Skip Bayless this week is for Voyager 2, who's now, it, that's the space probe that's out, uh, you know, that and Voyager 1, way out past the edges of the solar system now. It's, it's, just, it's forever out there. It takes 17 hours to send it a message. Back online after eight months of radio silence, man. Oh, the, yeah, NASA back in uh, March, they had to shut it down, the communication, and upgrade their antennas and stuff mm-hmm. down there in Australia. And so they've been out of contact since March. And uh, here this last week, came time to fire up the, the antenna again, give it a little test, see if it's going to talk. Mm-hmm. And so they shoot off a message, takes 17 hours to get out there. Boop. Voyagers, you know, talks back. is like, yeah, still here kicking ass. Thanks for asking. And the first question it asked was, how's 2020 been? Yeah, yeah. What have I missed? <laughs> and, uh, it, you know, they had 17 hours to figure out what to send back. So, <laughs> uh, uh, so yeah, Voyager 2 out there, still kicking butt, uh, taking a little hiatus and uh, still kicking back up. I think that's pretty sweet. Uh, better at life than Skip Bayless. Some good, good news getting back in touch with Voyager. That was probably an awkward 17 hours, though. They probably should have been thinking about what to say before they got that question in. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you you should think of all those eventualities, right? Yeah, yeah. Because the whole turnaround time, right? That'd be what thirty four hours, <laughs> probably. So yeah, a day a day and a titch. You should you should you should have all the contingencies figured out. Go ahead and just let let Voyager know that the Seahawks are going to win the Super Bowl right now, and just mm. so that way the message gets there with plenty of time. Right, and then that way it knows to celebrate. Yeah, at the appropriate time. Well, we're celebrating Bobby Wagner, who is my better at life than Skip Bayless this week. The NFC Defensive Player of the Week, Bobby Wagner, two sacks against Jimmy Garoppolo, blowing dudes up, having an amazing game, and showing why he is the All-Pro and future Hall of Famer. And hopefully he doesn't go to the Pro Bowl. In fact, the Pro Bowl's canceled this year, so it doesn't even matter. But he would be there if if they were having one, and he wouldn't have to go if they were having one. But Bobby Wagner, better at life than Skip Bayless this week. 
Oh, excellent choice. Uh, Wags was unbelievable. Uh, I love angry Wags. It's good for, for my life and it's good for the Seahawks life. So um, if anybody else wants to piss off Bobby this week, um, you know, find a way, figure it out. Tell you what, I'll revoke my better at life for Bobby and say, hey, Bobby, I will put you in the better at life slot when you show me something. Yeah, I mean, earn it. You're kind of getting there this last <laughs> week against the Niners, but yeah, I still need to see more. The effort, so-so. Uh, I could I could use more. Um, but no, uh, Bobby was fantastic. Now, I do find it interesting, Brandon. Um, they announced the Pro Bowl being canceled. Uh, how many complaints did you hear? <laughs> you know what? I think it was canceled about a month ago. And I, uh-huh. I just kind of remembered yeah. because nobody's really said anything. The, yeah, I, I, that was one of those things that went quietly into the night and nobody gave a crap. Nope. They're like, huh, you mean they were still going to do it and they had to decide now? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think no, that's I, how that I, news went over. I firmly believe that uh, life is better without the Pro Bowl. Yeah, I'll, I'll get along just fine without the Pro Bowl this year. Or any year. It can just be gone forever. Now. And with that, there's only one thing left to say. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. Go Hawks.